I got to hear something better than that. I got to hear something better than that because if Jesus did anything for you and you really believe that he died for you, that is the most amazing thing that could ever take place in your life. No matter if you got a new job, no matter if you got a new house, what he did far surpasses anything that will ever happen in your life. It's better than your wedding day. It's better than the day that you had kids. It's better than the day you got a boat. It's better than the day you, you sold your boat. What he did is far greater than anything that you will receive in this life. I'm very excited to preach this word today. And I think of anything that I've preached, this is probably something that's the nearest to my heart. It's something since the time I got saved back in 2013. It is something I've pursued. It is something that has been a staple in my life, and it is something that I genuinely believe has kept me in the Lord, I genuinely believe that has protected me from the things that the devil would try to throw at me. And what I'm going to be talking about today stems from the very center of who God is, and it is something that he absolutely calls each person in this room, each person on the face of this earth, to not only desire, but to pursue after and to walk in. The presence of it will determine your success as a Christian, and the absence of it has been the downfall of many. It's been a downfall of pastors. It's been a downfall of leaders. It's been a downfall of marriages. It's been a downfall of, of friendships, of CEOs, of kings, of government officials, you name it. What I'm talking about is for both the young and the old. It's for the woman and the man. It is for the married and the unmarried, and it is for the pastor, and it is for the congregation. It is something that is oftentimes desired too little and sadly too late. And no one is exempt from it. No one at any point in their life will be able to say, well, yeah, you know, that really doesn't apply to me. It absolutely applies to you every second that you're living, every moment that you're awake. This applies to your life every moment. It is not something that is tangible, yet you can see the fruit of it in a person's life. People who choose it love it, and those who reject it end up regretting it. Jesus said, without it, you won't see God. And David said, without it, you won't enter God's presence. And this thing that I'm talking about is purity. And to my knowledge, I haven't heard too many sermons on purity. Even thinking today, I really don't think it's something that's preached in a lot of churches. Purity is not something that's, that's spoken from the pulpit. Purity is not something that's preached. It's not something that's lived in a lot of people's lives. So today I'm going to talk about what purity is, why it's important to your life, and then we're going to go into how to practically walk it out. David said in Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, he said this. He said, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He said, He who has clean hands. Everybody raise a hand. Shake a hand, clean hands, and a pure heart. Point to your heart. What you need to understand is this, is that clean hands is something that you can see. It's what's on the outside. A pure heart is what you can't see. It's what's on the inside. So purity is not physical. Cleanness is physical. Purity is invisible. It's a heart issue. And it deals with the things that are going on inside of a person. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 8. He said, blessed are the pure in what? Pure in heart, for they shall see God. Notice that Jesus didn't say, blessed are the pure in hands. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. And of course, we're not talking about uh, a physical heart and the, the anatomy of a heart. That would be silly. Whether or not someone has a perfectly functioning heart does not determine whether they will go to, to heaven or not. 
What Jesus was saying was, blessed are those who are pure on the inside, in the place where nobody else can see. They're the ones that will see God. So if you're taking notes today of this message, the title of the message is going to be, What's on the Inside? What's on the Inside? I don't know about you, but when I was younger, and I can say this because my mom's sitting in the front row. When I was younger, I don't know about you, but I hated cleaning my room. I hated cleaning my room. My mom would say, you got to clean your room. I'm like, ugh. I hated it. I'd rather just play games all day. But what I would do was I wouldn't actually clean my room. I'd make my bed, and I'd tidy up some stuff on a dresser, but everything else that was in the room was going either under that bed or it was going in that closet, and I was shutting that door. And the cool part was, was my bed was right against the wall, so I, just, I would just take my comforter and pull it to where it would cover that open space at the bottom. Don't tell me you hadn't done that. Covered, covered the space at the bottom of the, uh, of the bed. That way, when anybody would come in, come in, they would see the room, and on the outside, it looks clean. But purity was what's under that bed. Purity is what's in that closet, and that's the part that God is concerned about. So to everyone else... Everything can look fine and dandy on the outside because people can only judge you by what they can see, right? They can only judge you. You look like you're all right. When they come into church and they're like, oh, man, praise God, man of God, praise God, woman of God, you're doing great. But, but what's on the inside? What's on the inside? And God knows exactly what it is. You know, we may be able to fool people, but we can't fool God. We can't fool God. And that's what was happening with the Pharisees was everybody was seeing the Pharisees and they were like, man, these holy men of God. Holy men of God, they look so clean, they look so good. But Jesus didn't play into that because Jesus knew exactly what was inside that person, inside the Pharisees. And he basically said something that went along the lines of this, is you may look holy and good on the outside, but that's not what you look like on the inside. And if you're only concerned with cleaning up what people can see, then you are no better than a Pharisee. They were only concerned with cleaning the outside when in reality what needed to be cleaned was the inside, right? And that's why he told him, Matthew 23, 26, Jesus said to him, he said, blind Pharisee. He said, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. And what we have to understand is that it does not matter how clean the outside of us is if the inside isn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good you look. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you can quote. It doesn't matter how high you can raise your hands. It doesn't matter how good you can sing. It doesn't matter what the outside looks like if the inside doesn't match what the outside looks like. The inside is what counts because the inside is what dictates your cleanness on the outside. And what I mean by that is this, is that everything stems from the inside out. Whatever you're dealing with inwardly will always manifest itself outwardly. And whatever is in the darkness, right, will come to light. Christians fall into sin when there are unchecked godly desires, ungodly desires and passions that are never dealt with and uprooted in their lives. That's why people fall into sin. And what ends up happening is that they just leave them there. When those things are happening on the inside, they never take care of what's happening on the inside. It's never uprooted. They just leave them there. And what they don't understand is, is whatever is on the inside will grow. If there's godliness on the inside, it will grow. If there is sin and there is wickedness, wicked passions on the inside, all they will do is grow. You have to uproot those things. And what ends up happening is they just leave them there and they continue to grow and grow and until eventually they fall into a point where they're sinning. James said it like this in James 1, verses 14 through 15. He said, temptation comes from our own desires. 
which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, see, that's the nature of sin. It's, it's, it's always wanting to grow. It gives birth to death. And this is exactly what purity deals with. It deals with your thought life. It deals with your inner desires. It deals with your inner passions. It deals with your inner motives because those are what give, to birth, give birth to every action you will commit in your life, whether it's of God, whether it is not of God, what, is dealing, what you're dealing with on the inside, your thoughts, your motives, your passions, your desires, they will dictate what comes out of you. And that's why the inside of you is far greater than what's on the outside of you because the inside is what di- dictates the outside. In essence, to be pure, when we talk about purity, to be pure is to be free from contamination. So to be purified is to remove, remove the things that are contaminating your life. So when you think of it in terms of, of water or metal, if you want to get pure, pure water or pure metal, you have to remu- remove the impurities from it, right? And someone may say, you know, I don't really deal with anything too big. That is such a lie of the enemy, man. It does not matter how big or how small something is on the inside of you. It has the potential to grow. It has the potential to grow. It doesn't matter the concentration of the contamination in you. Even the small stuff will eventually grow and ruin your life. Solomon, King Solomon said it like this in Song of Songs in, in chapter 2, verse 15. He said, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, are vineyards that are in bloom. It was the little foxes that ruined the fruit of the vineyard. Even the smallest contamination can render water undrinkable. Understand that, that even the smallest contamination can render water undrinkable, and even the smallest impurity can taint the beauty of a metal. I've seen it happen with my own eyes, and I've heard it testimony after testimony of people who had everything going for them on the outside. You would look at a person and be like, man, that guy has it going on. And the next thing you know, they fall and they lose everything because they didn't have purity on the inside. That's what it boils down to. They had it everything. Everything was good on the outside. You know, everybody's praising them on the outside. Everything's going good on the outside. But, I, but if you neglect to take care of what's on the inside, you will lose everything on the outside. You will lose it all. One thing we have to understand about, pur- about purity is that purity is not a point you reach. It's a constant pursuit. There's never going to be a, a time where you're going to be like, oh, I'm finally pure. It's not, never going to be a time where you're like, man, if I could just overcome this one thing, I'll finally be pure. That's not what purity is. Purity is a constant pursuit. When you pursue something, you seek to obtain it, right? If the cops are pursuing somebody, they're, they're seeking to obtain that person and bring them to jail. You have to pursue. You will never get to a point in your life, I'm telling you, you'll never get to a point in your life where you where you say, oh, praise God, finally pure. Because when you get to that point, what, what use is there growing? What use is there following Jesus anymore? It is a constant pursuit. But here's the thing. You will never be perfectly pure until you reach heaven. But you are still ex- expected to pursue. Though you may not be perfect, Though you, though, though you may never get to that point on this side of heaven where you can say, man, I'm 100% pure, you are still expected, the Lord still expects you to walk in purity and to pursue. And in order to be pure, purity itself is not what you pursue. If you want to be pure, purity itself is not what you, be, what you pursue because there, need to be, there needs to be a standard of what purity is, right? Like I can't just pursue purity. What is purity? 
It's not an absolute thing if, if, if I just say oh, I'm, I'm pursuing purity. No, pursuity has a, uh, uh, purity has a, a standard. You have to pursue the one who is pure, right? Purity is simply the fruit of pursuing Jesus. That's what John said in 1 John 3, 3. He said, all, this, all, all who have this hope in him, in him, purify themselves. He's the reason why we do it. He's the reason. He's the one we pursue just as he is pure. So he is the standard. He is, he is the one I'm pursuing, and because I am pursuing him, the fruit of pursuing him is now I'm, be made, I'm being made pure. And the moment you stop pursuing Jesus, the moment you spiritually put yourself in park, is the moment that purity leaves your life. So it's a question today. Are you parking or are you pursuing? Are you parking or pursuing? Because as Christians, we need to be pursuing. It never, means, it never needs to be a time in your life where you're, you just you let, the, let the, uh, the, your foot off the gas. Pastor Carl says it all the time. There's only one way to live this life if you're a Christian. It's pedal to the metal all the way and you ain't going back. So are you parking or pursuing today? The problem is that too many Christians today are pursuing after the wrong things. They pursue after position. They pursue after careers, after pleasure, and, and temporary things that have no eternal value. They have no eternal value. The most, the most important and the most valuable thing that you could ever do and ever pursue in this life is to follow Jesus because it has eternal implications. I can pursue my career. I can pursue my job, but that will only go as far as I live. And then what? You know, people build their whole lives off of being in a title and being in a position. But what is your life after that? Who are you in God's eyes? Because the Bible says that when we die, we're going to stand before him. And we're going to have to give an account of our lives, what we've done in this body, whether good or bad. So what did you do with your life? What were you pursuing? What was on the inside? We read about David in the Bible. The Word of God says that David was a man after God's own heart, right? He pursued the heart of God. He pursued to be like him. Whatever God's heart was for, David wanted his heart for. Whatever God's character was, David wanted, that. David wanted to replicate that in his own life. That's what it means to be after the heart of God. David was a man after God's heart before he, listen to this. David was a man after God's own heart before he even had a position. Before he even had a position, when he was in the fields tending to the sheep, he was a man after God's own heart. He was pursuing God. When he was left out, when David's dad had lined up all the sons together and David was left out, he was still seeking after God's heart. And while everybody else is lining up for a position, we need to be the ones that are tending to the sheep after God's own heart. Too many people think that once they get a certain position or a certain title, then they'll finally, finally be in a place where, okay, now, now it's time for me to pursue God. No. No. If you're not pursuing the Lord now as you ought to be, a position or a title won't do anything for you. And really, I'm going to tell you the truth, and this is from experience. I can promise you the last six months of my life, if you are not walking in purity and you are not pursuing the Lord, anybody else would have fell and been out back in the world. Because the, the stuff that has come against me in this last six months, I can promise you, and this is why I can preach this message, is that the purity that's on, this, on the inside of me has kept me through the last six months. If people get a, a position or a title and they're not living, living in uh, purity, it's going to ruin them. Because without purity and integrity in your life, 
you will not be able to handle the responsibility of a position or a title of authority. A person who is called to be something in the Lord will never have to fight for or seek a position. That's one thing I cannot stand. I cannot stand is somebody who seeks after position. I can, God, and God cannot stand that because you got to understand something. If God, God is the one who promotes people, God is the one who calls people, he is the one who does it. I don't, I've never, in my whole walk, I have never had to come to a point where like, I had asked somebody, I, I really want that. No, there's a plan for my life. God called me and he worked my life out to where the position came to me. Because in the waiting, he was doing something on the inside of me so that he was preparing me to come into the position that I am now. Come on. The position comes nat naturally. Your obligation is not after, to seek after position. It's not to seek the praise of people. It's not to seek what anybody thinks about you. Your obligation is to seek after the heart of God, to pursue after the heart of God, to pursue after what he wants for you. That you would have the same passions as him. That, you, that your heart would beat for the same things his heart beats for. That you would love what he loves, that you would hate what he hates, and that you would be willing to remove anything that is not of him in your life. That's what a pure heart looks like before God. That's what purity looks like before God. It's on the inside. People think that purity is, oh, I'm just not sinning. That's clean hands. Oh, I'm not technically sinning. Okay, but what's going on on the inside? Because purity is on the inside. You could technically not be sinning, but yet have a sinful heart and, and, and have a, a wicked heart. So what's, what's on the inside? A pure heart is this. is a heart that desires, seeks after, and pursues the pure heart of God. We're the ones that simply reflect who he is. Just like the moon, the moon reflects the light of the sun, that's all we are. We are a reflection of Christ. We are a reflection of Christ. A pure heart is a heart that is concerned with what the Lord thinks and says and desires to be right with him in every way. That's what a pure heart is, a pure heart. And that's why it's a pursuit because there are going to be things in your life and there's things in your heart that you don't even know about right now. But as you continue to walk, he is going to reveal it. And when he reveals it, it's up to you to say, man, you know what? This isn't of God. I don't want it in my life anymore because I want a heart like his. I want a pure heart. David said this in Psalm 139. This is literally one of my favorite verses. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. He said, test me and know my anxious thoughts. This is the kicker. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Other versions of this verse said, point out to me any wicked way in me. And that's what we have to understand is when God points something out to you that is not of him, we can't play around with that. It's wicked. And the reason why people are willing to let it live in their lives is because they don't see it how God sees it. If we would see it as a wicked thing and it's a, sin, it's a sinful desire before the Lord, then it's got to go. Because if it doesn't go, it could be detrimental to my life. And a lot of times, if we're being honest with ourselves, we won't ask God to search us for any wicked way or anything that offends him because we know he's going to find something. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, a lot of times we won't ask God to seek because we, get, we become comfortable in our ways and we'd rather not deal with that right now. So God, I'm not going to ask you to search me because I know if you search me, you're really good at finding stuff. You're really good because you know me better than I know myself. 
And that's why I'm not going to ask because I'm just comfortable, comfortable with the way I am. That's what parking looks like. I'm just going to park a little while. It's going to get a little comfortable. I'm not going to worry about the things that are inside of me. They're not, they're, not, they're not too harmful. They're not wicked. Yes, they are. And I can promise you I've seen it too many times throughout my walk of people who didn't walk in purity and they're no longer walking with the Lord. Purity is not only a purging or removal of evil, but it's also a keeping of yourself from it. So it's not only getting the stuff out, but it's also not letting it back in. It's a keeping of yourself. And what that's a picture of is a man. And you got to follow me on this because this is so to- totally opposite of what our culture is. What that's a picture of is a man keeping his virginity for his bride. And the bride keeping her virginity for her husband because the intent was when you did that, when two people came together, they would keep themselves with each other. So at the proper time, you could give yourself fully to them. And the reason I say that is because our culture today belittles marriage so much, belittles holiness so much, and we can't see that because a lot of times we have sex before marriage. We come together before marriage, and that's not the way that God intended things to be. God intended sex to be within a marriage because it ties two people together in a union. And that's why when people are out there, you see them struggling so bad when they break up because they are tied to each other. That is a soul tie. That is a soul tie. Culture today says just give yourself away. There's nothing good about you. Just, just give yourself away. Everybody's doing it. There's nothing special about virginity. There's nothing special about waiting until your wedding day. And I say that to say this, that the Bible calls the church, anybody who is born again of the spirit of the living God, calls them the bride of Christ. If you are saved in here, you are the bride of Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or blemish. And that's why I say that is because if you are the bride of Christ, he kept himself for you. We need to keep ourselves for him. So it's not only a removing, it's not only a purging of the stuff that God shows us. It's keeping ourselves from it. Because I am not willing to compromise. I am not willing to to fall in to what God has called me out of. And I am not willing to compromise my integrity and my impurity because I am keeping myself for the one I love. Not just my wife one day. I'm keeping myself for the one I love because he loved me first, because he gave, me, he gave himself for me first. He's looking for people that are unwilling to compromise or to follow themselves with anything ungodly because they're keeping themselves to be able to give themselves fully to the one they love. Purity should envelop every area of your life. Purity should envelop every area of your life because Jesus doesn't doesn't want just one part of you. He wants all of you. You got to understand something. When he was on this cross, he gave everything he had. He he didn't withhold anything from us. He lived a life free from sin. He died a brutal death. He gave his whole life, his whole being to you so that you would be saved. But yet in return, we only want to give him part of us. That doesn't work. That's not what purity is. Purity is saying, God, I see what you did for me. Jesus, I see what you did for me. And because you gave it all, I'm going to give it all. So I don't care what it is. I don't care what happens in my life. If you show me something that's not of you, I'm removing it. And I want what is, what is of you in my life. I want that to grow. 
It's like a garden. It's like a garden. It's like weeds growing in a garden. You got to uproot those things. If you want the beauty of the garden, you got to uproot those things. So we know what purity is. We know why it's important. How do we walk in it? How do we walk in purity? Let me give you three things. It's really good. <laughs> Practical stuff that, that I have used and I'm telling you has kept me. First thing, you got to cut it off. You got to cut it off. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 29 through 30. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, was Jesus talking about physically plucking out of your eye or physically cutting off your hand? Of course not. Because if that were so, we'd have a lot of blind people. We'd have a lot of people maimed that wouldn't have hands. That if people took that literally, that was not what he was saying. Jesus was talking about cutting off every opportunity for sin to enter your life. Cut it off. And the reason why people keep falling into sin time after time is because they're unwilling to cut off what is causing them to sin. It is so simple. The gospel is so simple. What Jesus said is so simple. We can't expect God to deliver and free us if we're unwilling to do what he says. If he says cut it off and you want to do it another way, well, you have fun with that because you're not going to be free. But if you would do what he says and you would cut it off, you would be free. It's as simple as that. But people love what they're in and they're not willing to give it up. And because of that, you won't be free. You have to get to a point, any sin that has ever had to leave my life and had ever, I've ever had to get out of my life, I've had to come to the point where I've hated that thing. I've hated what it's done to me. I've hated what it's done to everybody else around me. And I say, God, I don't want to deal with this anymore, but I can't do it myself, so I'm giving it to you. And when I took that step of faith, he took it from me. He took it from me. You got to cut it off. You have to identify the opportunities in your life that, is that are causing ungodly passions and sin to enter in. And I'm going to say this, for some of you, it may be social media. It may be social media. And you may be saying, well, Pastor Nick, does that mean I have to get rid of my Facebook or, or my Instagram or my Snapchat or TikTok? Let me ask you something. How important is it to you to get sin out of your life and to obey Jesus? That's, that's the answer. I, I'm not forcing anybody to do anything. The question is, how bad do you want to be free? How bad do you want to walk in purity? Jesus said, it, Jesus said it's more profitable for you to cut it off than you to be cast into hell. If what you're looking at and what you're, you're, dealing with, you're like dealing with with social media, if it is causing ungodly passions and ungodly sin to come out of your life, then you need to cut it off. I don't care if you agree with that or not. That's what Jesus is saying. But I can't cut it off. I'm using it for ministry. That's a joke. I use it for ministry. That's great, but if the only witnessing and ministering you do is on social media, we have a very big problem. We have a very big problem. Because as far as I'm concerned, the men and the women in the Bible didn't have any social media, and they won more people to the Lord than I've seen anybody winning today. So don't tell me that you, that you can't get rid of it because you're using it for ministry. That is a load of baloney. That is baloney. I can't get rid of my Facebook. People need to get the face in the book, see what God says, and go with it. Drop it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. When I first got saved, social media was an opportunity for ungodliness to enter my life. 
And God was dealing with me. I was very prideful when I got saved. I was very prideful, and God did a very amazing work with removing that out of my life. And what happened was when I first got saved, I really genuinely got touched by the Lord, but I still had things in my life that he was trying to remove. And so Facebook was a big thing. You know, I would post status. A lot of people can attest to this. I would post statuses. I would post pictures just to get likes, just to get comments. And the Lord was dealing with me on that because what was happening was I would post it. I'd get off of Facebook. Two seconds later, I'd be on it to see if anybody liked it. I'd get off. Two seconds later. You know what I'm saying? So God was dealing with me that this was not godly. And I made the decision to get rid of it completely because my desire to be like Jesus and to obey him far outweighed the pleasure and the satisfaction I got from people liking and commenting on my statuses and pictures. Serving him was far more important to me. And to being like him was far more important to me than caring what anybody else thinks about me on Facebook. I was off of social media. I, I got rid of my Facebook, deleted everything. And I was not on social media for seven straight years. Instagram went too. For seven straight, seven straight years without fail up until 2020. And really the only reason I got it was because when, when everything shut down, the churches shut down and we were doing online, that was the way to view it. And guess what? Seven years went by and I survived. Hallelujah, I'm here. You're not going to die if you have to cut something off. And not only that, I thrived that whole time because I obeyed what God said and I removed what he wanted to remove out of my life. Let me tell you something. When you want something bad enough, you're willing to do whatever it's going to take to get it. I don't care what it is. It could be good or bad. People do whatever it takes. If they want something bad enough, they're going to do whatever it's going to take to get that thing. And if you want to be like Jesus bad enough, you are going to do whatever it's going to take. And you're going to remove whatever it's going to uh, take to remove. You're going to do whatever it's going to take because you want to be like him, because you love him. For some of you, it may be places that you're going to. Maybe places that you're going to and, and that one way or another are, are a trigger point for you to sin. And if that's the case, then cut it off. Cut it off. Don't go to those places anymore. Avoid them. If anything is causing you to sin, cut it off. And for others, it's the, it, it may be the people that you're hanging around and surrounding yourself with that may be the reason for you stumbling. I don't care if it's people. I don't care if it's places. I'm going to tell you this story, and I'm going to tell you the reason why. When I was first saved, this is all happening when I first got saved, walking with the Lord a couple months and separated from everything. But I, had, I started to have this desire to go hang out with my old friends and be like, oh, man, I just want to see them. It may not be that bad. But every time I'd go see them, say, I'm supposed to be this Christian, and I'm witnessing to them of Jesus changing my life. And all of a sudden, when I get around them again, the beer comes out, the drinking starts, and all of a sudden, I'm texting, hitting on girls again, going right back to my old ways. Until I got to the point where I was so tired of being a hypocrite, and they even called me out on it. Because a situation arose where, where my friends were talking about another friend behind their back, and I said, you shouldn't do that. I said, it's gossip, and God hates it. And they said, who are you to tell us anything? Who are you to tell us anything? I said, that's it. I'm cutting it off. I don't care if it's people I used to hang out with. I don't care if it's places. I don't care if it's social media. If it's causing you to sin and causing ungodly things to be produced in your life, cut it off. And that leads me into the second thing. The second thing is you may have to change your company. 
I'm not going to say may have, you will have to change your company. You will have to change your company. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15 33. He said, do not be misled. There's the, the ring ding ding. Do not be this misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That's exactly what was happening to me. My bad company, the people I was surrounding myself with, were dictating and corrupting my good character. The company you keep around you will be one of the determining factors of whether or not you walk in purity. That's just the truth. Because purity is something to be, to be pursued within a community and not just in isolation. A lot of people just want to be like, oh, man, like, I'm just to myself. I'm going to be so pure. No, baloney. You need people around you. You need people around you. You need people around you that are going to be willing to, to follow Jesus, that are going to be willing to pursue purity with you, pursue him with you. You need those people around you. This is what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.22. He said, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord. Out of a what? Pure heart. You need to surround yourself with people who have a pure heart. Because what you pursue after with these people is, is eventually what you're going to obtain. If you want to live pure, you've got to surround yourself with people who are pursuing the same thing. You can't surround yourself with worldly people and magically expect to live godly. Man, that's crazy. It's totally against the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't, it's not going to be like, okay, I'm just going to hang out with my old friends and expect to live godly. No, man. Like, you, there's, there's stuff, you're going to have to surround, you got to get you a new crowd. You have to get you a new crowd, man. Because if that were so, Paul wouldn't have written that bad company can corrupt good character if I wouldn't have to change my company. You need to surround yourself with people who you can be open with about what you're dealing with on the inside who will be able to keep you accountable to God. You need to be able to find people around you that you can open up with and be very serious with about what you're dealing with. And it's got to be people that are not going to go run behind your back and tell somebody. I'll tell you that right now. If somebody comes to you in confidence, they come to you in confidence, and that's it. But they need to be open because you need to be able to keep each other accountable. Somebody, it never works. This never works. I've heard it time and time again. Well, I'm accountable to God. That's great. We all are. But the people that have said that, they've never been successful. Because it's so easy when I'm alone and it's just me and God to go on the phone, to get on the internet, to look at stuff I'm not supposed to be looking at. Whereas if I had people around me at all times keeping me accountable, then there's less of a chance that that's actually happening. You got to change your company. You need to have people that desire to live pure lives before God and desire for you to live a pure life as well. That's what the people you need to surround yourself with. They need to be able to speak life, speak into your life and potentially tell you about yourself when you're not doing right. And you need to be willing to accept that. We need to be willing to accept godly instruction, godly wisdom. But in order to do that, third thing, we have to stay low. You got to stay low. And what I mean by that is this, is that you have to be willing to humble yourself if you want to be able to receive anything. You have to humble yourself if you want to receive the word of God and sound wisdom. And we should want that. You should never get to a point in your life where you don't want sound wisdom, godly wisdom, godly advice. You should never want that in your life. You should always want to receive wisdom, wisdom, especially when it's coming from someone in leadership. It doesn't matter if it's a pastor. It doesn't matter if it's a life group leader. You should want that. I always looked up to the people above me. I always looked at I always honored what they had to tell me. Even if it was just their opinion, because I knew they were coming from a place of experience. I knew they were coming from a place of love towards me, that they wanted better for my life than I even wanted for my life. 
You need to surround your people. You need to be able to, to, to willingly receive from your leaders like that. The moment that you let pride in your life, you shut yourself off from receiving anything from the Lord. If there's any, any more serious of a point that I can make in this message is this. The moment you let pride in your life, you shut yourself off from receiving anything from the Lord and from others, and that's the moment the fall begins. When you let pride in your life, the moment you become prideful, you become an enemy of God. But I'm saved. Okay. When you're prideful, you make yourself out to be an enemy of God. And the Bible says that God gives grace to the what? Humble, but he resists the what? Boom. So if he's resisting you, you're making yourself an enemy. Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Anytime I've seen someone fall or I've, had a tes- I've heard a testimony of somebody falling, Pride has always been the, the forefront. It has always been the, the, the controlling factor, the driving force of that. And how do I know that? It's because of this. Because they would not have fell if they would not have been prideful. But yeah, they did this, this, and this. Okay, this is what we need to understand. You can take all the sin in the world, you can put it in a pot, you can boil it down, and what you're going to be left with is pride. Because pride says, I'm going to do it how I want to do it. I don't care what God says. I don't care what anybody else say. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, no matter what the cost, because I want it. That's what pride is. That's what sin boils down to is pride is I want to do what I want to do. And that's a dangerous place to be with God. I can honestly, 100%, I fear that. It's, a da- it's dangerous to have things on the inside that are ungodly and you're unwilling to confront them and get rid of them. You're playing with fire. And unlike the saying, this, this isn't a you might get burned situation. This is a you will get burned situation. You are playing with fire. If you are unwilling to remove the things that God is showing you and you just let them fester and you just let them grow, yeah, I know you've been speaking to me on that, but I really just don't want to give at it right now. Or I love it like this too, is he'll take it from me when he's ready. Baloney. (laughs) My goodness, man. If he's showing it to you, God gave you a free will. If he is showing it to you, then it is up to you to give it to him. You can't wait for God. Oh, I'm just going to wait till God does it. No, baloney. He gave you a free will. And he expects you to get rid of that thing and submit it to him. So the question is today, what's on the inside? I'll bring it back to the title. What's on the inside? What's happening in a place that nobody else can see? What's happening on the inside? What are you dealing with on the inside that only God can see? What is that thing? And it may be multiple things. It may be multiple things that the Lord has been dealing with you on to remove, to get rid of, but you're just unwilling to get rid of it. I will honestly say to this, that hidden sin will kill your relationship with Jesus. Hidden sin will kill your relationship with Jesus. And you're fooling nobody but yourself. When you're trying to hide something, it's a detriment to you because everybody else thinks that you're doing good, but yet they can't help you because you're hiding. They can't help you because you're hiding. And what eventually happens is your heart grows so hard because of the sin that you're, you're, you're concealing that you just go back to the world when all you had to do was open up and let people help you. All you had to do was open up and let people help you. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. You don't receive mercy until you repent, until you confess and repent of that sin. There is no mercy. 
You can ask the Lord to forgive you, but if you continue to walk in that thing, there is no mercy for that. What you don't expose and embarrass will end up embarrassing you. Your sin will find you out. That's what the Word of God says. Your sin will find you out. You have to understand something about God that the Bible says that he is an all-consuming fire. And what that means is that he desires to utterly consume every part of your life. I don't care what it is. It could be your finances. It's your, your, your inner, your outer. He wants to consume every part of it. And he's not going to stop until he does so. If you're saved in this place and you have the Spirit of God, he is unrelenting in his pursuit of you because he wants you to be like him. And as he reveals things that in you that are not right, all you have to do is give it to him, throw it in that fire, and he burns it up. And it reminds me of the process of metal casting. I don't know if anybody here knows anything about metal casting, but I took a, um, when I was in college, I had to take a course on it. And what you would do was you would make a mold first of what you wanted to be cast. And then you would take this thing that's called a, a crucible, which is a vessel that is placed into a furnace. It's placed into a fire. And you would put the metal inside of that crucible. And when you would put the crucible, you'd heat up the furnace. You'd put the crucible in there. It had the metal in there, and then the metal would melt. And as it's melting, the impurities rise to the top. And that's called the dross. And what you would do is that when you're about to take it out, you take a scooper and you, you filter out all the impurities and you throw it on the ground. And then after that, it's, it's molten, it's molten hot. It's then poured into, the, it's poured into the, uh, the mold. And then you're able to make something out of that. I say that to say this, that there's a couple elements of that process that pertain to us. So first of all, the crucible. What the crucible is, is us. The metal... What inside the crucible, that's, on, that's what's on the inside of us. The fire is God. He's the all-consuming all fire. The dross is the impurities that he is drawing out of you. And the mold is who God's created you to be. And as you remain in the fire of the Lord, those impurities will come to the surface. That's the revealing. And all you have to do is acknowledge it and give it to him, and he takes that scooper dumps it out, and he pours you out into the mold and makes you the person that he called you to be. If you want to be purified, you have to be in Christ. The connection between the person you are right now and who he is calling, to be, calling you to be is found by being in him and letting him purify you. So what's on the inside? Stand with me. First thing I want to say is